Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast with Bryce Johnson. It's a show that unpacks sports, faith, and life with intriguing guests from the sports and entertainment world. Enjoy inspiring conversations and thought-provoking interviews. You'll hear stories from people that will inspire, challenge, and encourage you. Now, from the Unpacking It studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, uniting sports fans everywhere, here is Bryce Johnson. Welcome to the Unpacking It podcast. I'm Bryce Johnson for this special 2019 year in review show. We're going to talk all about some of the the big stories of the year, where each sport stands as we head into a a new year, but also a new decade. We'll take a look back at the previous decade, and we're also going to talk about the last six years of Unpacking It Ministries, and so we've got a lot of, of fun topics to discuss today, and I am actually joined in studio today by Chris Bryant. And he was one of our first board members, helped launch Unpacking It, and he uh, actually bid on an auction item to be a part of the show. And so we are doing that today. We had our big golf tournament fundraiser and and silent auction, and so he was a part of all that. And so we say hello, making his podcast debut, Chris Bryant. Chris, how are you? Hey, Bryce. Doing great. Very happy to be here with you. Man, well, we're we're psyched to have you, and uh, this this will be fun. Is Chris has plenty of opinions, and oftentimes disagrees with me on on sports topics, and so we'll we'll see where things go today. Uh, but but would love to to hear from you as a listener. Uh, you can always email me Bryce at unpackingit dot com. If you missed our Christmas episode, be sure to check that out. And then also, I did an update podcast explaining the direction of the Unpacking It podcast moving forward in 2020, some of the changes that we're making, and, and so we're, we're really excited about what God continues to do uh, through this ministry and specifically through this podcast. And so, Chris, let, let's start with the, the 2019 year in review uh, when it comes to sports. And so we think back and we, we look at Clemson winning it all, Virginia winning it all, the Toronto Raptors, the New England Patriots, the Washington Nationals, Tiger Woods won the Masters this year. Which of those events jump out to you, to you the most as being maybe the most memorable or most significant? Well, uh, Bryce, thanks for having me again. And if I had to pick one of all of those, um, I would have to say Tiger's comeback uh and winning another major championship. I, you know, after the past few years, I really didn't expect for him to be able to get to that level. I knew he'd be able to win uh, tournaments per se, but to get back to winning a major was a very big statement. And I, I feel like, you know, the, the, the Patriots third year in the Super Bowl. Uh, Virginia was a, a big deal. Uh, the Nationals makes me sick. I'm a Braves fan. And so uh, I, I really, I'd have to say out of, uh, out of all of those named, uh, it'd have to be Tiger's comeback. Yeah, I think as we look back at history, that will be the most memorable for sure. Um, and unfortunately, because Virginia happened right before that, that we almost glossed over 
Virginia winning, and I don't think they got their proper due for what they did accomplish. So we'll talk about them in a, in a moment. But but as far as Tiger goes, what just continues to stand out to me, and we know this, but we were, we were we were reminded of it, is how he captivates the sports world like nobody else. And and probably Jordan was there, and and you would know further back in in history as far as players that captured the non-sports fan, the diehard golf fan, everybody in between. And that's what Tiger did when on a Sunday where he's about to win the Masters. You, you wanted to find a TV. You couldn't wait to watch it. You couldn't wait to talk about it the next day when you saw everyone. And, and the fact that his story is as crazy as, as any story ever, the rise and fall and, and, and the injuries and all that happened off the, the course and family and personal for it to all culminate in a, a 40-something-year-old guy winning the Masters after such a gap, you can't write that. You can't make it up. Very few people ever expected him to even compete again, to even get close to doing it. And the, his mental ability and emotional ability and physical ability for that to all come together at the Masters that way in 2019, it was special. Well, you're right. And uh, the the point that... Tiger kind of spans all generations. My mother-in-law, who you know, uh, is a huge Tiger fan. And anytime she finds out that he's going to be on TV, she is glued to the television set. And, you know, we're a country of great redemption stories. And regardless of what you may have thought of Tiger in the past and uh, him falling out of grace, what a redemption story to, to come all the way back. When he just had how many knee surgeries and a back surgery, you know, recently to win the Masters, it it really is an amazing story. It, it is, and and yeah, the the individual performance of it, but what it means to the sport of golf, and how he just rejuvenated the whole golf season, and 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 now what he did at the Presidents Cup, and I mean, he's back. He really is. Now, how long will it continue, and and how many more majors can he win? It, you know, it matters in one degree, but the fact that he won the Masters again after all of that is almost enough. Like, we always want more, and we want him to keep going, and we, we wonder, oh, man, what, can he, what else can he do? Uh, adding that to his resume was, was huge. So, Yeah, and, and I'll just say personally, being in your dad's generation, as he and I are, are probably best friends, um, we kind of – I won't speak for him, but I'd, I would rather – Tiger not break Jack Nicklaus's record for a lot of different reasons. One being that uh, back in the day, uh, this is going to be a kids get off my lawn story, but back in the day when uh, they played in every tournament and nowadays the players will play in 16 tournaments a year four being, you know, the majors. So I think it's a different time element there. And while uh, you could argue, you know, Tigers face much stiffer competition, you can't discount what he's done and the magnitude of coming all the way back. Yeah, well, the fact that he now beats all the guys that grew up watching him and got into golf because of him is, is pretty unique. And the way that all those guys you know, look up to him, and, and now he, he had the chance to beat them. And, I mean, yeah. And plus, he was their teammate on the President's Cup. Which is cool. Yeah, and, really, and really. Those guys, those guys love him. And so – that whole story was fantastic, and, and you can't talk enough about it. So that was definitely, I, I, would, I would agree, that was the highlight of the year across sports. But I really believe that Virginia championship is underrated, 
and it, it got overlooked. It it, it just kind of it just ha- I don't know. It just kind of happened, and everybody moved on. But to think the only one seed to lose to a 16 seed not only comes back to win a championship at some point, they do it the following year with basically the same players that experienced the the devastation, the disappointment, the letdown for Tony Bennett to get those guys to to respond, recover, bounce back, overcome all that they overcame. That was that was tremendous. In a season where we saw, you know, a Duke team that was that was strong, multiple teams had you know really really good teams in that tournament and and you you overcome everybody coming after you and and knowing that hey, Virginia's beatable. We saw a 16 seed beat them the year before and for them to do that and and the way that Tony Bennett coaches his team, I, I just I just love him. And he's not as flashy. Virginia's not as flashy of a university, so they do get overlooked to a certain extent. But but that to me is as big of a story as as we've seen in college basketball in a in a way long time. It's yeah. hard to be duplicated. Yeah, I have to agree. I, you know, it's a testament to uh, Tony Bennett and the rest of the coaching staff and to the Virginia players. You know. Th- that's why they call it March Madness is because anything can happen. And for them to have the indignity of being a number one bounced by a 16, uh, it had to have lasting impact, and yet it didn't. And I think one of the reasons it flew under the radar, you you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say it had it had an impact positively versus mm-hmm. negatively. Right. It impacted them in, in, in a way that they came back even more motivated, whereas most teams probably would have been rattled and just – you know, wiped out and given up and forget about it. Yeah, and again, a, a testament to the the coaches that they have and the quality and integrity. And, um, you know, the reason it was an under-the-radar kind of event in our year in review is because of Virginia's kind of slow, plodding, defensive-type uh, uh, play. Uh, they're not flashy. They just get the job done, and they have a coach that kept them on course and kept them focused and – you know, it really was an amazing to to go from the suffering one of the the most embarrassing losses in history to winning it all the following year. And not to bring up one of your favorite teams, but you think about the Atlanta Falcons and what they experienced in the Super Bowl, losing to New England, and and really now the next few seasons they've been derailed because of that. We we had the agreement you were not going to mention twenty eight three, but I think it puts it in perspective because that's the normal way it goes when you lose a lot of teams they kind of fall off even last year the Rams losing the Super Bowl now this year they seem to struggle and, and oftentimes that's what happens to teams so I think it just it puts it into perspective as big of a loss I mean that's as big of a loss as, as we've ever seen in college basketball at least there's been some others that have been major upsets but as far as one in 16 the uniqueness of that to, to bounce back uh, was huge. Yeah, you notice Michigan didn't really pop back after App got a hold of them. There you go. That's right. They they were derailed for many years. They've been in a downspin ever <laughs> since. We, we ended, uh, of course, I'm an App State guy, uh, ended their, their run there for a while for sure. But, but in speaking about Tony Bennett and then also bringing up the fact that Clemson won the championship in college football you know, back in January, and so that was a long time ago, and we'll see if they can do it again. Doesn't seem as likely, but but we'll see. The, the fact that Clemson won so convincingly against Alabama, basically won that game within the first few minutes and, and just coasted the rest of the way, uh, said a lot about them and, and to do that against such a powerhouse in Alabama. But to compare 
and, and I guess bring them together, Virginia and Clemson, the commonality between Tony Bennett and Dabo Sweeney, especially from our perspective as we love talking about faith and, and, and look through you know, the, at the sports world through that lens, the fact that Dabo and Tony Bennett have very openly, convincingly, unashamedly run their, their organizations or their, uh, their programs with their faith leading the way says a lot about them and says a lot about what you're capable of doing when you stick to your foundation, you stick to your convictions, and, and you don't you know, hide who you are and, and what you're all about. And so both of them, they've built programs. Because think about where Virginia basketball was before Tony Bennett got there. They weren't, they weren't thinking in, in recent years before him, thinking about championships. Clemson, I mean, that was a thing, Clemsoning, you know, losing. And when you, even if they did have a good seed, they'd always find a way to, to blow it and, and end their season in a, in a tough way. Dabo builds a, 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 a whole program from the ground up and does it by saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to recruit guys with integrity. They know exactly where I stand. We're going to build this program on, on principles that are you know, biblically based. Tony Bennett, the same thing. And, and, and then the other part of that, too, is I think they've shown that you can win with different personalities, too. Because oftentimes we've, we've thought of Christian coaches having to be a certain way as well. You know, Tony Dungy is the, the, the face of Christian coaches and, and did a tremendous job as an NFL coach, but was very, you know, mild-mannered, and, and, which is fine, and that was his strategy. Whereas Dabo, he's big personality, energy guy, uh, you know, maybe gets in your face a little bit more than, than others. Tony Bennett has done it in a way where very even-keeled, um, does it, by playing defense, and that's his you know strategy. So not a real flashy, like you were talking about, uh, style of play. So anyway, just as as someone who is always encouraged by faith based coaches leading the way, and and then having success, where it's not all about success, but it shows you that you can still stick to who you are and have success uh, is pretty neat. So I think that's a testimony for what they were able to do, even in the same year. Yeah, and I agree, and I I think uh, you know try across the spectrum. And I was looking at the Colts game uh, last night, and Frank Wright, uh, and you know the statistic about him, right? He was the quarterback in the largest comeback in college history and the largest comeback in NFL history, and it was him. And if you look at what he's done with the Colts program, just to, you know, since we're on the topic, is there's a, a calmness and a steadfastness to the rebuild there that is a direct uh, reflection of, of his style. And um, you're right, Dabo is a little bit more of a spitfire, fiery. I remember a coach, Bill Curry, who uh, was a very strong Christian man and coached uh, George Tech and then uh, at Alabama for a time. And he just – he came from the more uh, mature fatherly figure type. So um, regardless of the personality you mix with the, the Christianity background, it's more of that calm steadfastness that kind of works its way in the DNA through all of those programs. And, and both of those programs really haven't been – you know, based on any one player or star player. I mean, we've seen, especially in basketball, where one guy can carry you and win a championship. 
that's not how Virginia was built at all. I mean, they've had some nice players, and I mean, DeAndre Hunter ended up being a top pick in the NBA, but wasn't a it wasn't all built around him. He wasn't necessarily carrying that team. It was a a team oriented build is what Tony Bennett did. And same with Dabo. Sure, they had Deshaun Watson, and and he helped carry the way. But over the last gosh, you know, six years since Clemson has been relevant and and moving their way up and winning championships. They've done it, huge defense, plenty of offensive players, but I guess the point is that they've been able to recruit the very best of the best and and been able to get guys that fit what they're trying to do, and it just shows that guys want to play for coaches with high character that say, hey, this is who I am, and then live it out, and, and players are continually just attracted to them. And for Virginia, those guys actually stick around versus leaving early, so he gets guys that want to be a part of the program for three or four seasons, which says a lot in, a, in a, an era of college basketball where everybody leaves early, too. So I love that aspect of, of those guys, too. Absolutely. And, and there is no doubt if we had the ability to go behind the scenes and examine the programs and, and just spend some time with them, you would see that there are a lot of Christian-based elements worked throughout all of those programs, and that is becoming a magnet for these kids that they may not have had uh, previously. And I think that's going to lead uh, to sustained um, you know, success for those programs. And both of those coaches, as successful as they've been and as, as focused as they are on winning, when you listen to them, they, they really are player first and wanting to develop men. And, and so that's their main focus. And it just so happens that because of that and because of who they genuinely are, the best players want to come and play with them. And then that equals winning out on the the field or on the floor. And yet they also produce some of the great guys in the league. I mean, look, I I love Deshaun Watson and now what he does with, with the Houston Texans. He's a great guy, high character guy, and has come in and been a great leader for the Texans. And so the, those are the, the players that they have. So, And it, it doesn't hurt either when, you know, you get a reputation as Clemson has of having 37 first round draft picks in the last two, two years too. So that, that does help the reputation, you know, but uh, coupled with the, the kind of program that you're running Su- yeah. success begets success. That's right. They, they get the, the right people in there. So, um, so those are, those are some of the, the big, you know, championship games and, and moments of, of 2019. Uh, I guess if, if we talk NBA, I was watching the Toronto Raptors highlights the other night, just now this season without Kawhi Leonard, and they're still pretty good. But that Nick Nurse is a great coach uh, as well, what he did in Toronto. The fact that they won the championship was one of the surprises of the the sports season. You know, we're, we're used to seeing the Patriots win the Super Bowl, and Clemson had already won before, so it wasn't too surprising they won again. But the Toronto Raptors out of nowhere, that was, uh, I think in some ways it'll be a forgettable win. Like people will look back and go, wait a second, the Toronto Raptors won an NBA Finals? How did they do that? But it was an impressive one, the fact that they knocked off the, the Warriors. And to think now that the Warriors are one of the worst teams in the NBA with all their injuries. <laughs> and so how things have changed so quickly and, and how all that happened in the NBA is wild. And, and to think last year, the L.A. Lakers were dysfunctional. The, the fit wasn't right with LeBron and all the young players that they were initially building around. And then you bring him in, it didn't work out. And now a year later, uh, we're looking at them being one of the favorites to, to win the, the next finals. 
uh, with the Warriors out of the picture. Kevin Durant injured. So it's just it's wild to think how things have changed so much in the NBA. A- any thoughts just on the NBA in 2019 and, and where we're at? Yeah, I you know I think one other factor there too is the fact that you had a a team that is outside of the USA uh, winning winning the NBA championship, and it kind of shows the the uh, the influence that the NBA is having in different countries and all over the world, really. And um, I haven't seen the statistics. I know soccer is probably the most popular sport in the world. But uh, basketball is number two, and fast approaching uh, soccer is my understanding. So I'm sure the the league was thrilled to have had a champion come in another country, be it you know, albeit Canada. But um, you know the the league has changed as well because you can uh, a free agency and the way that works in the max contract, you can have two or three players collude and say let's all get together on this team and here goes the next run so um, that's something that I as a fan I've just kind of been from the outside doesn't uh, impact the uh, quality of play certainly that's going on but what I I don't want to see happen within the league is you have the the Harlem Globetrotters and then everybody else is the Washington Generals and uh, I, I think that uh, Adam Silver is a smart enough commissioner to know that. If I'm seeing it, certainly they're feeling it, and I think that will uh, not to go into heavy stuff, but that'll probably come up at some point. Yeah, I, I like the direction that the league went this off season, where we saw the breakup uh, of the Warriors to a certain extent, where now Kevin Durant goes somewhere else. But I, I like having two stars on more teams. Because it just feels like it's more spread out. It's interesting though; the the ratings are a little down early in the season. But but let's to me, let's wait and see how it goes once football season's over and and people are more drawn to the NBA. And I think once we start talking February and we realize that oh wow, all these different teams are in the mix; they're all championship contenders. Nobody's far and away better than everyone else because even the Lakers have lost recently. And, and so you, you see, all right, Lakers got two studs. The Rockets have a couple studs. The Clippers have a couple studs. The Bucks have Giannis and, and probably maybe the deepest team, probably fair to say. The Celtics have a few guys. So it, it, it's fun as a diehard NBA fan. I like it being a little bit more spread out versus us knowing the Warriors were going to be in the finals hands down. Unless injuries were going to happen, there was no way the Warriors weren't going to go to the championship. And so, to me, there's there's much more intrigue, much uh, uncertain, much more uncertainty this year. Even though I'll stick with the Lakers, but um, but I love LeBron and, and the Lakers. So, uh, so anyway, so I, I like where the NBA is heading, and and so let let's go that direction though as we we wrap up 2019. We look across the the landscape of sports. How do you feel? We'll just kind of go through each league, uh, maybe the status of the the top leagues right now, and what do you see as strengths and weaknesses? Um, so, so in the NBA, I, I think the the top level talent is as strong as it's it's ever been. Plenty of superstars that can attract fans of of all ages. You've got the you know the the, the older guys that still love LeBron, and then some of these younger fans are are buying into. To, to Giannis and and so there's I mean think about that twenty 
25, 26-year-old, 37-year-old. That's cool to see that big of a gap, and they're, they're fighting for who's, the, who's still the best in the league. The, the weaknesses, I would say, for the NBA is still trying to figure out the, the best situation with how many games in the regular season and then also the one-and-dones and whatever they determine. I think in a couple of years it looks like that's going away uh, where guys will have the ability to go straight to the NBA. How will that affect the NBA this time around? Having now having seen it the other way, where guys were forced to go at least one year out of high school, um, so I'm, I, that to me is there's still some uncertainty surrounding that that could end up uh, causing some some new issues uh, as you mess up the the microphone over there. But but now so yeah so just general thoughts on the NBA and we'll kind of go through uh, through each each league. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the NBA probably does the best job of all of the sports at marketing and expanding their their base. Um, as a 59-year-old, uh, I, I feel like the NBA has moved away from me somewhat uh, from the Larry Bird, Magic Johnson heyday, uh, which was, was my heyday. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, they should be because there, there's a growing uh, base in the millennials and the, the, uh, the others that – um, they market to, and they're doing a great job of expanding in the product and, and keeping the energy there. So I, I think the NBA is very well positioned. I, I'll be curious. Uh, we didn't touch a lot on this with the college basketball, but the one-and-dones, uh, to me personally, have affected the college basketball uh, quality. And I think if they go away from that, uh, we'll we'll see a better quality of overall uh, basketball in the NCAA because I I do think both have been affected by it. The yeah, it's just to me it's the concern for college basketball and the NBA. How do you make the regular season more interesting where there's something on the line? Because think about college football, the regular season is actually better than the postseason. I I would say there's more intrigue. You know, more fan bases are are bought in and, and following the season and, and all that sort of thing. And so we can talk about the bowl. The bowl system is not doing great at this point for fans, I don't think, especially general fans tuning in to watch a bowl game. And so the same is for college basketball. The Tuesday night, if you're an ACC fan or a fan of Duke or Carolina, are you watching a Big Ten game, Michigan State, Indiana? Uh, not as much. Now, March Madness... I think it's perfect, and it's almost like it doesn't even matter who the players are. It, it doesn't matter who the teams are. It, it's just the way that it's set up, and thankfully they haven't messed it up too much. All they've done is make it better by allowing us to actually watch all the games. So by them adding TBS and even True TV, where you can watch all the games, that was a huge win because that used to always be the biggest issue where you were forced to watch one game on CBS and it's like, no, 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 turn it to the next game, turn it to the next game, and you're stuck watching a local game. So once they eliminated that, March Madness to me is almost perfect. But December college basketball, it's just tough to, to get interested in. And really, even, so I'm a Duke fan. When I watch early season basketball, I don't know any of the players. Like Trey Jones is back, but they're all new freshmen, and so it just takes me a while to really be fully engaged and interested in knowing who the players are, whereas in years past, I knew that J.J. Redick was coming back for his senior year. So from day one, I couldn't wait to watch J.J. Redick and Sheldon Williams, who were coming back for their big senior year. And so for that to go away is tough. And so if you can now, with this you know, kind of new rule, where guys that have no intention of ever staying in college 
they leave, they go straight to the NBA, and, and I think the G League will have to be more uh, a part of things, and they'll have to beef that up even more than they have. Yeah. But but it should end up helping college basketball a little bit. 100% agree, and I, I, I feel like the colleges have prostituted themselves to the NBA by allowing the one-and-dones to come in and you know let the NBA provide that training league for the the high schooler uh, who is maybe one or two transition years from really being ready and bring the quality back to uh, college basketball. You know, you you were mentioning uh, in my day it was Mike Jeminski and Jim Spinarkle. You know, watching them for four years, and uh, you don't have the power teams any longer because they just turn over every every year. Let me look at Kentucky as the main offender there. Oh yeah, and and Duke's right there, and I think Zion was special in that he captured the whole sports world like we haven't seen in a long time. I mean, gosh, I'm trying to think of the last guy in college basketball that was must-see. I mean, Steph Curry during his run in the tournament, um, but but Zion was was a unique guy. But I think back with some of these one-and-done players that Duke has had, Jabari Parker and Brandon Ingram, and I like Jason Tatum a lot, but Kyrie, he barely played. Like So you just can't really buy into them fully they're, they're just a rental you know they're not going to stick around so you like them because they're wearing a duke jersey but you don't it's not building each year where you watch them grow and see them get even better and that's what to me college basketball is missing a little bit but i'd be fun, like virginia like i was saying earlier with virginia they go after those types of guys where you actually see for three or four years and you see the growth and the buy-in and then it culminates in a championship win well, I've, I've got a personal example and that'll impact you as a Duke fan. But a few years back, Duke played a team called Mercer in the NCAA, and my nephew was the starting center for them. And there's, they were five seniors who had played together for four years. They were no longer boys. They were 22-year-old men with experience. They weren't intimidated by Duke, and they upset Duke. Second round, first round, first round, first round. Yeah, and uh, it's hard to remember all the upsets. Yeah, it was uh, very exciting uh, <laughs> time. But that's a prime example of these—I won't say second-tier schools, but programs that have the kids who are there for more than one year and gone. They really gel as a team, uh, matures players, and that's the kind of thing that can happen in a March Madness. Yep, that absolutely. So, and, and I guess we still. Yeah, you still want that. You you like those those Cinderella stories and the upsets and but it's all it almost it opens the door more because of how it's been set up. Because I mean the the Duke players last year they were all awesome. R.J. Barrett and those guys will have great careers in the NBA and they were superstars. But they weren't used to March Madness. They had no experience and they had no experience even playing together in those intense moments. And because Zion missed at least one of the Tar Heel games and. He missed time throughout the year, so you just didn't have that continuity even with that one season because guys were in and out of the lineup. So um, it makes it makes it tough. That's why I, I yeah I love the three four year guys. So I still root for Duke, but I I miss my favorite championship Duke team. Well, I love the Jason Williams year with Battier and Dunleavy and all those guys, but Brian Zubik, John Shire, Kyle Singler, like those guys. That was awesome. Nolan, I guess Nolan Smith was on that team. Because those guys stuck around. So uh, that was fun. All right. Anyway, so 
we'll uh, we'll transition to the NFL, kind of the state of the NFL, and and even we'll expand the conversation a little bit too because I, I want to look back at the decade as well. The NFL over the last ten years, what has been maybe the storyline, and and how how healthy of a league are they heading into the new decade, and and really for me, it's it's two things. It's still the the decade of the Patriots, even though I guess they would have did they did they lose? Yeah, I mean they lost to the Eagles, um, and lost to the Seahawks. Giants was oh before the decade, I think that was before the decade. Um, which is crazy. It spans all these decades, the, the Patriots run. So it's still another decade about the Patriots um, being in the mix. But then the other big thing, and of course this is personal to me because I'm such a big fantasy football player, it was the decade of fantasy football taking over how we view the NFL and, and really turning casual fans into diehard NFL fans. Like my brother... He's a bigger fantasy football fan than he is a Panthers fan. And so we'll, we'll be joking, oh, man, tough Panthers lost yesterday. He only cares that his fantasy team won. I think that's, that's changed. And I think overall it's had a positive impact because you know Monday night football games matter a lot more to, to, to the casual fan, even if their team isn't playing. They want to see how their quarterback on their fantasy team is going to play. So I think it's brought in more intrigue across the league this is a league all about parity anyway. So even though the Patriots are always in it, we see the rise and fall of teams every single season. And, and basically everybody has a, a chance unless you're the Cleveland Browns. You never have a chance. Unless you're the Detroit Lions, forget about it. Bengals, no way. But everybody else, you're at least in the mix every couple of seasons. So I think the NFL is very healthy in that. I would, I would say they need to be careful about oversaturating things. Even as a diehard, I watch a ton of football. When you start saying every Thursday, every Monday, and then I'm watching you know, two or three games, two or three windows on a Sunday, then you throw in the London games at 9, then you throw in the Saturday games in December. We're talking the Saturday before Christmas. I'm expected to watch three games on a Saturday. That, that's tough to do. So I would just I would caution them the oversaturation of the, of the sport would probably be my biggest concern but overall i think the intrigue the interest level the the number of stars that they have it's it's pretty strong yeah i would agree with that and you know you touch on a point i'm i'm not a fantasy player uh never have gotten into that yeah it's probably i would say age 45 and under is the the main base of it yeah again and and that's fine a different generation marketing to a different you know group and and that i believe has helped sustain uh the nfl um you know there there's been some controversy over the the last couple years that i feel has impacted uh, the league somewhat i do feel like it's been a strong back bounce back year from that um, they they've done a lot of good uh, and uh, rightfully so. But um, as far as um, the the fantasy leagues, I think that does drive interest, uh, at least televised interest anyway. Um, I, to me, they, the teams have started looking the same for quite a while where you could take the uniforms switch them around and and they all kind of run the same offenses a I think the the impact of a Lamar Jackson 
of uh, these other quarterbacks who bring other skill sets, uh, primarily the run-pass option, is beginning to make the league more exciting, in my opinion. I, I enjoy watching uh, an academy play uh, Washington State. Oh, actually, that's going to happen in one of the bowl games with Air Force playing Washington State. But can you imagine Air Force running the ball every play and Washington State throwing the ball every play? You don't get that in the NFL. In the NFL, you're seeing similar offenses and defenses run against each other until Lamar Jackson comes in. And um, I'm blanking on the uh, – Mahomes, uh, Kyler Murray, the Clemson quarterback, uh, Texans, Deshaun Watson. You know, that's a different dynamic that now is making the the game more interesting to me and and maybe my age demographic. But I I think the NFL is healthy. I think it was teetering on uh, some some big difficulties, but it's come back. And, uh, you know, I am sick of the Patriots. And I, I think that it would be a good thing if the Bills or the Jets or the Dolphins could get their act together and, and win a division and just, you know, keep from having the Patriots in there every year. And it's not because of the Falcon debacle against them in the Super Bowl, which I will add, if if I could have stepped in as offensive coordinator when we were up 28-3 with the ball – uh, in middle of the third quarter, if I could have just plugged in as the offensive coordinator at that point, and probably you and that plays Darla, your games. mother, <laughs> you know, my mother-in-law, any of us could have won that oh, game. Oh, my gosh. You had to bring it up. Shanahan, wasn't it? Yes. And now he's doing great in San Francisco. Fantastic, and he did great for the Falcons. He's the reason – they, you know, got, they there. got there, and then all of a sudden. So anyway, it's pretty, still pretty vivid and, and painful. But we'll move on. But I, I still do, uh, you know, watch watch the Falcons and yeah, keep hoping for the best w- w- with them. But I, I do think there's something about you take out the cheating with the Patriots because we just it's hard to know how much, to what extent, what should they be punished for. To take that aside, as sports fans, we we do have to just continue to appreciate what they've been able to do. I mean, it's annoying. Like, we all root against them. But then at some point, because I'm a Panthers fan, so the Panthers lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, so that's a bummer. And for many years, I just couldn't stand them. I hated them. But then eventually it's like, man, what Belichick has done, you, you almost have to you have to almost start learning from him. Like, as a leader, like what he's been able to do. And there's so many things that you can – gleaned from the success that they've had Tom Brady I I watched a special with him the other day like there are like he's annoying in a lot of ways but there are also just things that you can admire and and just little things to to learn from a 43 year old playing quarterback and still still doing it now they've had a a weaker season they still won 12 games (laughs) are you kidding me um, Johnny Unitas would still be playing if he wasn't allowed to be touched. Well, either. that's true. It helps. It definitely helps. He's not running around like Lamar Jackson, who who gets crushed. But uh, Brady finds a way to stay back there and and remain, you know, from the big hits, which is which is key. So um, we can talk about the Patriots all day. I still, I don't, I I can't root or I can't pick against that. To me, they're still the team that I expect to be in the Super Bowl this year. I think the Chiefs are coming on at the right time. The Ravens are the best team in, in the NFL. Yeah, that's fair to say, in the NFL, um, heading into the playoffs. But then when the playoffs begin and the Patriots have home field and we'll see what happens this final week. But, um, 
But anyway, yeah, yeah, they're always right there for sure. The problem is they're out of receivers this year, and that's been a big frustration for Brady is they don't have anybody other than Edelman, and his knee is questionable that can get separation. And that's been, been a big frustration for Brady. But if they can go all in running the ball, and sometimes in the playoffs that that works. You can you can run the ball more in the playoffs. Yeah, their defense is very tough because you can grind it out and win those fourteen to ten games for three four weeks in a row. They only have to do it three weeks in a row. Whereas in the NFL during the whole season, that's it, just hard to do week in week out to only run the ball. And like you were saying, I mean, with dynamic offenses and you got to keep up with them. But you sl- it slows down a little bit in the playoffs, and the weather starts factoring in even more. And they have the home field, so it- it'll be interesting. All right, as we uh, we could talk all day and and go through all of this, let's uh, let's wrap up the show talking about unpacking it and the 2019 year in review, and and also Chris has been a part of unpacking it for the first six years of. of ministry and, and what we've been able to do so we'll, we'll celebrate and praise God for uh, 2019 and and really some of the the highlights for us uh, we continue to uh, you know push our, our fantasy football fellowship and and we wrote the book last year but this year getting it into church's hands and, and want to continue to grow that so we're fired up about that as we head into 2020 um, our radio show you know airing on Sirius XM and sports byline USA and then now transitioning to really focus in on the podcast. And so we're really excited about the changes that we're making and taking advantage of how technology is, is changing. And, and we want to be you know, right in, in where uh, media is going. So we want to stay in that, that lane. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to that. We did a whole podcast about that. Uh, our devotional continues to, to grow, and, and we love the feedback from, from people that, that read the devotional. And so... Uh, we're, we're doing our best of devotionals right now, so we're taking some of the biggest sports stories of the year uh, that we wrote about in the moment uh, when they happened, and, and now we're, we're rerunning those, and so uh, hopefully people are enjoying those uh, at this point. And so uh, this year for us as a ministry, we, we added some more people to our staff and to our team, and so we're, we're really excited about that and, and looking to expand even, even more so uh, in, in 2020. And so we, we love that. We're in a new studio. We're doing this, this show uh, from a new studio this year. And so we're really thankful for, for that partnership and, and, and love being able to, uh, to bring the show to you uh, from where we are uh, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. So those are some of the highlights for me and, and Chris as, you, as we wrap things up. Having been around the ministry, what excites you most as, as we head into 2020 and maybe what you've seen from where we where we began and we were grinding it out just trying to get this thing started and trying to keep it going just a month at a time yeah we're gonna make it next month and now here we are thinking about starting year number seven yeah it it's really exciting to have seen where things were in the beginning when you had your little call-in show and your dad and i would try to make sure we were available to call in to kind of get things going i was uh, it was Uncle Bob, or I had some kind of code name, and we would call in with a topic to talk about. And to think of that back then and where the program has grown to and how many stations that you are on across the country um, and the the growth of the support and the number of monthly supporters and just all the things that have come together over six years you know, you threw a stat out to me that really grabbed my attention back in the day, and it was 
there are more people who go to a sporting event on Sunday than who go to church. And that really, and it may be a little bit twist on that. Yeah, I tell, think the number of people that, that go to church regularly is less than the number of people that identify as sports fans. Right, that, that, that was it. And so it hit me right between the eyes, wow, there's a, a ministry opportunity there that if they love, you know, their sports teams, that, you know, they, they might be open to hearing from uh, athletes who are believers. So anyway, you, you had the right vision. The growth of the ministry has been fantastic. And I really think it's nowhere near uh, where it's going to be uh, as we continue to try to grow it across the country and, and find, um, you know, people in each you know, market where there's major sporting events to kind of be the guy or gal on the ground to promote and help grow the ministry. So I'm very thrilled to uh, have been along for the ride, uh, looking forward to continued success of, of growth and uh, more, most importantly, the, uh, the unsaved out there who the ministry is, is reaching and, and touching. So just proud and, and thankful to be a, a little part of that. Oh, absolutely. No, big part. He's been a big part since since the beginning. And so uh, exciting to have him here in studio today for this year in review special here on the Unpacking It podcast. And so he he's Chris Bryant and, and I'm Bryce Johnson. And I uh, hope you uh, wrap up the year well. And, and I know we're fired up for 2020 and, and really just invite you to be a part of this ministry as a listener. Subscribe to the podcast Subscribe to our, our email devotional. If you want to support the ministry financially, we'd love to have you as a teammate and, and support us each month or, or regularly, quarterly, yearly, however you uh, feel led to do that. But, but ultimately, we're sports fans following Jesus, so we love sports and love talking about them, but, but ultimately we want to point people to Jesus and, and know that he's the one that ultimately changes our lives and changes our hearts and changes our eternal destination. And so we, we celebrate him uh, here around Christmas and him coming to earth, but we celebrate the, the life that we have in him each day and, and the invitation that we have each day to follow him, to follow his ways, to, to not have to live life in our own strength, our own power, but to live life with his power in us, guiding us, leading us, and, and empowering us to, to do what he's asked us to do and, and to, to accomplish his purposes here on earth. And so we're just vessels to him and want to continue to obey him and, and follow his his ways and so uh man we're thankful for six years of unpacking it and fun to look back at this year in sports uh but but even more fun to look back at at where this ministry has has gone and and where we're heading so so 2020 the next step in the journey and uh, glad to have you a part of things so have a happy new year and we'll talk to you soon right here on the unpacking it podcast For more information about the show, our events, and other resources, visit unpackingit.com. That's U-N-P-A-C-K-I-N-I-T.com. We hope you are encouraged, inspired, and challenged by what you heard today. To support our show and Unpacking It Ministries with a financial gift, visit unpackingit.com slash donate. We look forward to unpacking sports, faith, and life with you again next week.